Eagles Entertainment. Anything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown! You're listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right. Another day, and the Eagles have their first loss of the season as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 424. At the top of today's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Greg Cosell to share our thoughts on that defeat in Week 10 at the hands of the Washington Commanders. Monday Night Football, Lincoln Financial Field. What happened in the game? What did the tape show? There's a lot to hit on on both the offense and with the defense. Obviously, a short week to discuss it all because the game against the Indianapolis Colts, just a few days away. So we're going to hit on that matchup as well here with Greg. Now, before we get there, a couple things we want to make sure we hit on. Number one, make sure you head on over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher, wherever you listen. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. If you've got a question, maybe it's something you saw in Monday night against the Washington Commanders. If you want it answered, leave it there in the comment section. We will answer it here in an upcoming episode. Also, be sure to check out the Journey of the Draft podcast. Myself, Ben Fennel, Dane Brugler, Ross Tucker, a whole list of guests every single week over on the Journey of the Draft podcast, wherever podcasts can be found. That said, let's get into our chat with Greg Cosell. It's time now for Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, well, time to welcome in my friend Greg Cosell from NFL Films as we talk through uh, this Eagles loss against Washington in Week 10. And, Greg, uh, this is the first time we are talking about a defeat here this season. And we'll start uh, with the offensive side of the football. I think an impressive performance considering the fact that you only had 22 plays on offense. Some of that self-inflicted. But I think overall, uh, look, the, the offense is not without blame in this game. I think Nick Sirianni said it best on Sunday night after, or on Monday night after the game was that uh, all three sides of the ball share some blame here uh, with this game. Three turnovers, three three and outs from this offense against Washington, and that's a tough recipe when you're in a game like this one. Yeah, I mean, they couldn't get into any kind of rhythm in the first half. You know, they only had the ball for over six minutes and were able to run only 19 plays. So, um, you know, it's very difficult to get into any kind of rhythm at all. There was obviously no run game in the first half whatsoever. Um, You know, they they sort of got got their – they got their run game going in the second half. And I think that's what gave them some stability and some continuity with their offense. Um, You know, and I think most, most teams, even teams that throw the ball well, when you're trying to, you know, develop some stability with your offense, you run the ball. So after the commanders went ahead 23, 14 in the third quarter, um, that's when you saw some no huddle, you saw the run game. They started that drive with three consecutive Sanders runs um so you know they were able to at least generate some offense obviously in the second half but the first half was was kind of a very strange half yeah, and for multiple reasons, right? And that's the thing is that, um, you know, much for for the same reason that you would say, all right, well, the, the defense, they struggled to get off the field on third down. Then that obviously that prevented the offense from getting into a rhythm. Yep. The offense isn't in a rhythm. You start to see some of those those three and outs show up on the offensive side of the football. Now the defense is back on the field, not able to catch a blow. And it's uh, the inverse of what we say is complimentary football from a positive sense. It was uh, working <laughs> against the Eagles uh, in that right, way. Right, right. No, no question about that for sure. Um you know, and then obviously they had the turnover with the interception, which was actually a perfectly thrown ball by Hertz. 
Um, my sense watching that play, I don't know what you thought. I think he believed that the post-safety forest would not be a factor on the throw based on his depth when Hertz turned yep. it loose and his body positioning. Um, yeah. And Forrest has also shown throughout this season that he sometimes struggles with, you know, turning and running. That's not really his game. It wasn't his game at, at the University of Cincinnati where he was a very good player, but that wasn't really his game. So I think Jalen probably felt that when he turned that ball loose, that Forrest would not be a factor on the throw. But Forrest just made a great play turning and being in position to play the ball. But it was a perfectly thrown ball. It's just Forrest made a really good play. That's one of those, like, if if it's on a whiteboard and you say, okay, there's a post safety in the deep middle of the field against a post route, you probably aren't going to throw that. But to your point, the depth of the safety, exactly where he was and who that safety was, I think kind of gave Jalen the green light there uh, on that throw. And, and you couldn't have pl- placed it any better. It goes through Forrest's hands, who had made a great reaction to the ball, through AJ's hands, and, and then Forrest ripped it away uh, going to the ground. It was, it was a great play uh, by a guy who has made some plays, especially early on this year for this team when Cameron Curl was hurt. Forrest was yeah. uh, one of their one of their big playmakers early on in the season. No, I think it's just one of those plays. I mean, look, you never want to turn it over, but I didn't view that as an, oh my God, Jalen, what are you doing kind of right. throw. Yeah. I, I think if you would talk to him and, you know, he'll he'll not speak about it publicly. There's no reason to, but I think he would say that based on the depth of Forrest and his body positioning that he thought that throw was there. Yeah, and we talked about how uh, it was you know mainly pass heavy early on. They did run a handful of RPOs early in the game while while it was still uh, Eagles either had the lead yep. or uh, you know or were in a one score game. Uh, you know where they could have been handed off or thrown it, and Jalen d- decided to throw it obviously uh, and for positive yardage. But uh, it only resulted I think it was what two Miles Sanders carries in the first half. Boston Scott had the one uh, down on the goal line as well. But uh, other than that, just the the run game a non factor in the first half. But over the course of the game. I thought we saw some some really creative wrinkles uh, from this game. We saw some unbalanced lines, some outstanding double teams from Lane Johnson and Landon Dickerson uh, on left side runs. And then uh, we saw the, the QB run, the QB counter read scheme kind of inserted back into the game plan. And that worked for a couple of big plays on the ground. So, uh, you know, as things got rolling, we'd start to see some, some of those wrinkles start to reveal themselves. Yeah, I mean, it was... Look, obviously, when you're starting to play from behind, and not that they were ever truly out of this game, yep. but it just it, it's a different feel to a game. And, you know, I think with, with the fact that the third down conversions by the um, um, commanders were, were so strong through much of the game, it just it, the game didn't have a feel that the Eagles offense was really controlling the game. It just felt like they were always, you know, uh, just one step behind. But in the second half, I thought they did some good things. Um, you know, I thought the Watkins 16-yarder on, on third and six, which was, I think, on the touchdown drive that ended with Smith's uh, touchdown, I thought that was a, a well-designed route concept to the boundary because it had answers versus both man and zone. Yep. The commanders on that particular play went cover one. They rushed five and Hurts hit Watkins on the crosser from the field to the boundary. But it was, as I said, that that was a route concept that had answers versus both man and zone, which you always like to have because you don't know exactly what you're going to get. Um, so, um, you know, I thought uh, I thought they they kind of did a nice job in the second half, but it just it just never felt like like they were in control of the game, even though they did some good things. 
Yeah, it, it was just it was one of those games, again, like you said at the top, uh, where it was tough to kind of get into a rhythm. Uh, let me ask you this question, Greg, and this is news that is still kind of being reported, nothing official yet um, from the team as of this recording, but uh, recording this Tuesday afternoon, and uh, there was a report from uh, Mike Garofalo from NFL Network that uh, tight end Dallas Goddard is going to miss some time with a shoulder injury yep, and uh, unknown exactly what that looks like, if it's going to mean injured reserve or not. Again, uh, nothing as of this recording, and it's all based off reports, so nothing official, but if Dallas Goddard were to miss some time, what would that mean for this Eagles offense? I think it would mean a lot. Um, yeah. You know, although I'd be very, again, I think Dallas Goddard is a top five tight end in the league. So let's st just start there. Um, but I'd be very anxious and you never want to see anybody get hurt, but I'd be very anxious to see um, Calcaterra get more snaps because mm. I, I, I don't know what you thought of him. I remember watching him at Oklahoma when he looked like the next great tight end that people were talking about. And then of course he took the year off and then, we watched his tape from this past year in college, and he's a very good receiving tight end. He has vertical ability. I'm not going to sit here and say he's Dallas Goddard because he hasn't played enough in the NFL to be called anything really other than what we see with his traits and attributes. Um, but I, I would assume he would get more snaps. I'm sure Stoll would step in as the starter because he's clearly the number two tight end. And I think he's done a very nice job as well. Um, and it'd be nice to see him get more snaps as well. But Calcitero would be the guy I'd be most fascinated in seeing. Um, that, I'm sure that report, because of where it came from, it's probably true. We don't know the number of weeks with Dallas Goddard. Um, you know, he's a really, really good player. It's a shame. I think he's a critical piece to this offense. But I don't think they would change a lot, Fran. I don't know your thoughts on that. I kind of feel like this is a very schemed offense. And I don't think this offense is built on let's throw it to this guy. You know, and, and and that's the way we do our, our business. I think it's it's built on structure and scheme. Yeah, it's almost, and it's it's obviously it's not exactly the same, but it's almost like the discussion that went around uh, the Kansas City Chiefs when the Chiefs lost Tyree Kill this this offseason was all right. Well, how do they replace? I think it is a group effort. I don't think there's a one for one replacement for Dallas Goddard because of all the different things he can do in both the run and pass game. But yeah. a little bit of Jack Stoll, a little bit of Calcaterra, as you mentioned, Zach Pascal can chip in uh, in certain areas. We'll see. Uh, you know, Tyree Jackson. Uh, I know the practice window opened up for him. Uh, you know, for his potential return yes. here uh, soon. And I don't know if that'll be this week or next week or what, but I think when you start to look at all those different body types, uh, those guys that can work in the middle of the field, I think you'll start to see a little bit more of all of them trying to chip in to replace some of the things that Dallas Goddard can do, I but agree. obviously, like I said, no one-for-one -one replacement. No, and, and and just to reiterate, I think while Goddard can certainly win one-on-one -on -one and Goddard is a terrific player, I don't think the offense is built around the idea that one player determines right. how this offense goes on a week-to-week -week basis. We've sure. seen all three of their top receivers, I think it's fair to say that Brown, Smith and Goddard have big games this year. And yeah. I don't think, you know, I don't think my guess is the coaching staff doesn't go into a game saying, hey, we better get him involved on the first 10 plays or else. Right. I don't think they think like that. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. And uh, you know, again, something we'll continue to monitor. I'm sure we'll address it uh, later this week here on the podcast as things become a little bit more crystallized and official from that standpoint. Uh, Greg, let's go over to the defensive side because obviously there are a lot of discussion locally around that uh, around that side of the football coming out of this game. You know, we talked after the Houston game and saying, you know, after watching the film that it didn't quite feel the same as watching it live that Thursday night. Uh, I want to get your thoughts after watching the film uh, on Tuesday morning. Was it more of the same uh, after seeing the game on Monday night? You know, it, we'll get to that in one sec. But okay. if I said to you going into a game that the that the opposing team was going to average three yards per rush, what would you say? 
I would say that's pretty good. And it was, it was like, I have that number in front of me, Greg. And it was, if I just give me, if you give me one second, um, this is great podcasting on my part. Uh, the Eagles, right? So they have three point yards per attempt. That was fifth in the NFL this week. Yeah, it was an odd game because um, watching the game on TV, I kind of felt like they were running just enough, yep. the commanders, to kind of, I don't want to say control the game, but to stay uh, to stay ahead of the sticks. And they created manageable third down situations that they were able to convert consistently. I'm sure some would disagree, and that's okay. Um, but I kind of felt that the, the third down conversions were more critical than the no run game. No question. Um, because if you get off the field on third down, and, and but one point needs to be made. Nine of the 21 third downs were either third and one or third and two. Yep. That's a that's a really high number. But the, there were others that were not, obviously. Yep. And if you could get off the field on third down, I don't think we'd be talking about the run game a whole lot. And the game might have played out differently, but they couldn't get off the field on third down. Yeah, I mean, that, that 16 play drive in the second quarter that ended in a touchdown. It was after the Jalen Hurts interception. Uh, they convert a third and six that went to 23 yards on the dagger play to Curtis Samuel. They convert yep. the third and five that was on that corner route to Terry McLaurin. And then they essentially convert that third and 10 uh, with the fourth and one. Um, they convert that third and 10 on the slant to Terry McLaurin. Like, the, you have three, adva- three chances on that drive alone third and six, third and five, third and 10 to get off the field. And you can't right. get off the field. Uh, and and the, the, it's those kinds of plays that say, like, yeah, like the, to me, the, that's a that's why you lost this game. Not because, uh, you know, uh, Brian Robinson averaged 3.3 yards per carry on 28 carries or whatever that final tally I mean, was. We, we, we did the math here. We did the work. Okay, so there were 33 rushes in this game okay. by Robinson and Gibson that came versus the Eagles' five-man base front, okay? You know, where there's – the zero technique and the, the no shade, and it was real, mostly real quick. Two... Greg, is that from a the uh, from a personnel standpoint or from a front standpoint? There were a couple reps where they were with like the four down, and it, it no, was no, still no. In this the is from when front. they play their five man base front, where it. it's where it's two equal o two. Yep, and, got and it. there okay. were some with Hargrave, but it was the five man base front. Got it. So thirty three you know. reps, the thirty three runs against that look. For and it was one hundred and eight yards, which is three point three yards per rush. Yeah. And then there were 11 rushes versus their four-man D-line front. Yep. And that that was for 34 yards, which was 3.1 yards per hour. Right. Yep. This comes from film study, by the way, not from a uh, a, a website. Yep. Yep. So so you know, I know I know what the front you know what the front is. It's it's their it's their base run front that we're speaking about with the five-man front. Yep. Um, and and that's the thing is like even that the long run of the day was that 11 yarder. That was literally the play after the fourth and one. So that that drive I was just referring to, right, they had the right. three third, long third down conversions. The play after that fourth down conversion was the 11 yard run down in the red zone. Brian Robinson, that was a, that was a pure Brian Robinson, like uh, Alabama run where he was churning his feet through contact and yep. picking up those yardage uh, in between the tackles. But outside of that, like, they kept the they kept the lid on this run game and yeah would you like to have some more negative plays sure but to me like uh, it was more about this team not being able to get off the field on third down well enough here in this game because it, they went twelve for fourteen on their first fourteen third down to me if you you go down to eight of fourteen which is still not good but better than you know better right, than this right, right, eight right. of fourteen and that's a, I think it's a different ball game Six so they of 14, missed their last seven game. then yeah. 
because they were 12 for 21 overall. 12 for 20. That's the thing is that, you know, 12 for 21 overall. Uh, but then, you know, down the stretch, uh, it's, I don't know, you know, they're trying to take, take the air out of the football and right, um, right, that, right. look, the Eagles made some stops uh, late in this game as well. Obviously uh, they didn't score. They didn't score any points after their sixth drive. So set drive number seven, eight, nine, and 10 all ended with uh, the Eagles getting the football back with no points on the board. So, um, or no, they did yeah, get a, I, uh, they did a field goal get, on know, that Goddard after the Goddard fumble in plus territory. You have to give the commanders some credit too. I thought some of the things they did on third down were good. Yes. Um, you know, the, the, I thought when they anticipated man, they moved McLaurin inside and, yep. and McLaurin was not going up against Slay. Obviously he had the, the, the long, the 41 yarder, which was not third down. I believe that was first. That was a, down. Fir- that was a first um, down play. You know, and that was obviously he beat Slay on that one. Did a great, great job of stacking him, and, and Heineke dropped the ball in the bucket. That was, it was a great ball. It was a great ball, execution. and it was a great player making a great play. Right, it was a great execution by both yep. the receiver and the quarterback. That happens, you know. It's the NFL. And the coverage um, by Slay actually wasn't even bad. Like he actually he got his hand through the catch point late. It was it was a great ball. Right, but McLaurin, I mean, he was a little bit of a third down killer against the Eagles. He was five yep. for seventy one. Four of those resulted in first downs. Um, at and they did a good job. He lined up in the slot, whether it was the inside slot to trips, whether it was the normal slot. So it put him on when the Eagles did go man, it put him on either Josiah Scott or he beat Gardner Johnson on um a twenty-six yarder, I believe it was. Um, so they did a really nice job when they anticipated man coverage and they put McLaurin in the slot. Uh so, you know, it was it was just a combination of things as it normally is, yep. Fran, as we know, when you lose a game, it's rarely ever one thing. Yep. And that's the thing. I think just watching it, uh, there, I think people are asking, like, well, who up front is is to, is to blame? But even just watching again, like, I thought this was a good TJ Edwards game. Him pressing the line of scrimmage, I thought was excellent in this game. A number of plays that I was able to tag going through and say, yeah, that's exactly how you want the run fit to look. And it ends up going for two, three, four yeah. yards on first down or on second and 10. And you say, all right, well, now you're setting up third and long or you know, second and very long. And that's, that's what you're looking for. But uh, again, the Eagles just unable to capitalize on enough of those plays. And uh, as you start stringing those together, you say, all right, well, if they got on the field, off the field on play four, you don't get to, to the third and one that happens on play 12. It's just, uh, you know, it's one of those uh, the, the, those plays where they yeah, just I mean, keep kind of could, multiplying. In some ways, uh, you know, just as I was watching the tape, you could almost make the argument that those pass plays, um, whether they were third down, there were some obviously that were not third down, but there were, uh, you know, a number that were on third down. You, you referenced a few. They seem to stand out more to me than the run game because the no run doubt. game seemed to be a yeah. lot of just bodies in the middle. And, yep. and yeah, and then you get two yards. But if it's first down and you get two yards and it's second and eight, I think as a defense, you feel pretty good. Yeah, I think that, you know, and look, you got like you mentioned, you got to give a lot of credit to Washington. Uh, I thought that they sequenced their plays really, really well. Uh, obviously, they had the execution in terms of staying ahead of the sticks and always putting themselves in good advantage. They, they ran a lot on first down when they did throw. It was a lot of play action and moving the pocket. They clearly went into this saying, you know what? We got sacked nine times the last time we played this football team. They right, sacked right, us right. for a sack fumble on the opening drive. Let that us make sure that happen. we stay ahead yeah. of this. We're not going to let that happen again. Um, yeah. and, and so from a uh, the, the way that they w- approached this game plan and then the execution out thereafter, it was impressive. They, they dialed up some good concepts to attack the Eagles in cover four. They attacked some good man coverage concepts as well, like you mentioned, with McLaren in the slot. And so uh, they dialed up some good plays at the right time, and they, they were able to come through. You know, I always feel like sequencing, which is a word a lot of people like to use, is one of those classic chicken and egg things. Mm. When it works, you know, right. we talk about good sequencing. When it doesn't work, we say it's not good sequencing. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, there's obviously more to it than that. I know I'm simplifying, but none of us have 
truly all the information at hand to know how all that's done throughout the week in meeting rooms and, and on the practice field. So we really don't know the answer to that question other than what we see on the field during the game. Yeah, I, I just I I was more speaking in terms of uh, just their ability to kind of stay ahead of the sticks and uh, yeah, you know, making sure that hey, you know what, we're gonna go run, 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 play action. There were a handful of times where you did see right. the guys at the second and third level uh, where it would be a run play, but they're staying home a little bit because you you had to respect the the element of the QB boot and the ability to keep it. Uh, you know, that's a result of the way that they were playing in that football game. Um, and how many times have we seen teams go run, run, throw, and have to punt, and then we say, what are they doing? You know. Right. And and basically that's what the commanders did, and yep. it happened to work effectively because the Eagles couldn't get off the field on third down. Sure, uh, yeah, it's uh, to me it was it was just one of those games, and obviously look, it's the it's the first loss of the season uh, for a lot of the fans. It's not going to feel good for the team. It doesn't feel good. Uh, they do have a short week now going on the road to take on the Indianapolis Colts that got their first win with their new head coach uh, Jeff Saturday, Greg. And uh, I think looking at the the Colts offense. The game plan was pretty specific uh, here in this one, too, looking at what they did against the LA Ra- or the Las Vegas Raiders. They're going in saying, you know what, we are going to lean on Jonathan Taylor in this run game. The ball's going to come out of Matt Ryan's hands very, very fast. It was a ton of quick game. I think he threw two passes past 12 yards, Matt Ryan, uh, in this game. So it was quick game and it was run game. Uh, and I would expect that that would probably be the formula they're going to try and replicate here on Sunday afternoon. Well, I don't think they have a choice. Yeah. Because you know Matt Ryan, and he's been a great player, probably a notch below a Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame player in his career. And if he'd won that Super Bowl, we probably would be talking about him as a Hall of Fame player. Um, but their pass game foundation was quick timing and rhythm concepts, working the short and short intermediate areas. RPOs were part of it. And and Ryan at this point is a limited passer. He can't really drive the ball or throw with the velocity that's needed to make certain throws. That's just the reality. That's what the tape tells you. So they they really have no choice. It will be a, it will be the run game and it will be those kinds of throws. Now I thought their offensive line, which has been a very erratic throughout the course of this season, actually played pretty well against the Raiders defensive front. And the Raiders defensive front does have good some good players. They've got issues elsewhere, but they actually do have good players on their defensive front. And I thought the rookie Raymond on left tackle played pretty well. You know, Nelson was solid on left guard. I thought Fry's the, the right guard had a nice game, you know, and he's sort of I guess he'd be called a journeyman type, but you know, I thought overall they had a good game and they're going to need to replicate that against the Eagles if they want to move the football. Yeah, I think when you look at the right guard, Will Fries, uh, he really stood out to me like in, in the run game with his, with his tenacity and his toughness. Yeah. I mean, he was finishing every single run. Uh, he had a huge block on that 66-yard touchdown run from Jonathan Taylor. Taylor had one of his best rushing, day, rushing games of the season so far. Uh, so I, I think when you look at, at the way that they want to be able to play, uh, it was a different kind of rushing performance because I, I think he ended up with, what was it, 150-some-odd yards on the ground, Taylor, um, but a lot of it boosted by that 66-yarder and everything else. It was sure. more of the, those three-yard runs, but ultimately, I think at the end of the day, uh, that's the way that they're going to want to have to play uh, to protect that offensive yeah. line, ultimately. They need Taylor to, to have a big run or two. Obviously, you don't get two or three 60-yard runs every right. week, but you know they're going to need some length with his runs, and in the past game, they're going to need run after catch. That's going to be critical because they're not going to get, and unless there's a fade ball that's caught, but they're not going to get, you know, intermediate to vertical throws. Those yep. are not going to happen. So uh, 
they're going to need run after catch. And you have to be aware in this game, jet sweep action. You know, Campbell is an explosive athlete. They use him on jet sweeps. They use yep. him in the tunnel screen game. These are things you have to watch for because that's what their offense needs to be. That The only way they can really create explosive plays in the pass game is run after catch. I mean, look at Granson, the 32-yarder on the second possession. I mean, basically, it, it looked like an RPO concept to me. I don't know if you saw it that way. Yep. Because um, I thought Ryan had his eyes on the linebacker who attacked the run action. And then he just hit Granson on a little sit route and he was able to turn it up and make it a 32 yard run, 32 yard game. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's something that's been kind of missing from this offense over the core, the, the long stretch of the season. But again, to your point uh, here in on Sunday against the Raiders uh, that did show up and Campbell and Granson to me are the two guys you worry about. Uh, Michael Pittman as well. Uh, he is their most targeted pass catcher um, and, and their number one guy. But I think when you look at uh, their ability to kind of create those big plays on the move, Campbell certainly has the juice to be able to do that with the ball in his hands. It's the reason why they made him a second round pick out of Ohio state a couple yep. of years ago and injuries have kind of derailed him, but uh, he is, got that speed he can you know he kind of reminds me of Greg and this can kind of paint a picture for Eagles fans is that um you know it's if you think of like uh you know, Josh Huff, like at his best, like what Josh oh, yeah, Huff yeah. could be a very similar kind of body type, like that long, lean interior player, getting the ball on the move, shallow crosses, uh, some deep balls down the field. But that's kind of where Paris Campbell, he kind of reminds me in terms of uh, like a build standpoint and a skill set standpoint. Yeah, I mean, and then he caught the touchdown, which won the game uh, yep. with five minutes remaining in the fourth quarter where it was. I kind of thought it was man coverage, but it was soft man, clearly. And he just caught the inbreaker and there was room to run and he can take it to the house. That's the way they have to score. You know, the long plays in this game, the Granson 32-yarder, the Taylor 66-yard touchdown, the Campbell 35-yarder. You know, those are just base plays. Um, you know, they feature the zone run game. That That's sort of the foundation of what they do. It's the zone run game. And uh and Taylor's obviously very good, you know, at, at, at reading it and seeing where the hole is. He can cut back. He can wind back. You know, this is there's no mystery, I think, to this offense. Yeah, just the last point I think there is, uh, and this is kind of obvious, but uh, if you're able to stop the run and you get them behind the sticks, uh, being able to pressure Matt Ryan uh, would be yeah. big in this game. That's that's kind of stood out to me, whatever Ryan's been in the game. Uh, this goes back to even early this season watching the Jaguars on tape. Uh, they got to Ryan, and it was, it was ugly. I mean, he has been statistically one of the worst quarterbacks under pressure this season. He's thrown seven picks when pressured, by far worst in the NFL, uh, even though he's missed a couple of starts. So uh, if you're able to pressure Matt Ryan uh, in this scheme, I, I think that that obviously will bode very well as well for which the Raiders were not quite really uh, able to do even no. with you know Chandler Jones and Crosby um they were not really able to generate much pressure he was only sacked once and he wasn't under much duress at all in this game yeah the ball the ball was out fast and the ball the was out. Going, yep. they, they didn't need to nope you're right uh, and then going over to the defensive side of the football, you mentioned not a lot of mystery to the way that the Colts play on offense and what they want to try and do. Uh, not much mystery at all uh, with no. this defense. You know, I think we know what to expect from a, a Gus Bradley coach defense here uh, at this point in 2022. Yeah, I mean, this is a team they don't pressure a lot with extra pass rushers. They're a four-man D-line team, you know, in a league now where a lot of people play five-man fronts. They're a four-man D-line front. You know, every once in a while, they'll take the Sam linebacker and put him on the line of scrimmage, but that's a linebacker. Um, so they're very good up front. It, inside, they're really good. Buckner is a really good player. He's really good. Stewart yep. is a really good run player, really good run player. Not talked about a lot. He's been doing it for two, three years at a really high level. They can rush the quarterback off the edge, and Gakwe's always been a good pass rusher off the edge. Um, 
you know, obviously Leonard is out, now out for the year. He underwent back surgery. So it's Okereke and Franklin. And Franklin has become the guy who doesn't come off the field. Number He's actually yeah. had a really solid season for them. Philly, um, a Philly kid, by the way, Greg. You know, I did not know that. Yeah, he's a, he's a Philly kid. He went to LaSalle, uh, LaSalle College High School. Well, I did not know that. I did yeah. not look at his background. Interesting. He's had a really nice year for them. Um, and then, you know, Gus Bradley, what do you normally get from Gus Bradley? And, and I don't want to say this is what they're going to get on every snap because we've seen Bradley, you know, change things up at times. Um, but I think that what you normally get with Gus Bradley is you get single high. So you get cover three. Uh, of which there's probably 10 versions of it, but you and you get cover one. And and um, the Eagles' old friend Rodney McLeod, he's he's really the box safety here. The last number of weeks they've been rotating Rodney Thomas and because uh, and Julian Blackman, who's now back, and I think he'll get most of the snaps now. Yep. But he that guy's been the post safety, and McLeod's done a really nice job as the box safety. He's done a really good job inserting himself in the run game. He's the tight end matchup when they go cover one. He's he's done a nice job for them. Um, so, you know, th- like I said, you know what you're going to get, but they do have good players. And you could argue Kenny Moore when they're a nickel. Kenny Moore is one of the better slot corners in this league. Top three slot corner in the NFL uh, I, for, for what, I would, yeah. I, what I would estimate as well. Um, six, just around 63, 64% of their snaps uh, mm-hmm. in either cover three or cover one. So a big-time single high team, yep. uh, you know, for that reason. If you're going to play single high safety, you're going to play with, uh, you know, typically defenders closer to the football, closer to the line of scrimmage. And uh, this this defense is uh, pretty much near the top in almost every statistical uh, statistical category against the run. You mentioned Grover Stewart. They've got some bigger defensive ends. DeForest Buckner very good against the run. The linebacker's very good against the run. And so uh, that, that will be a matchup to watch here in this game. Now, the Eagles have been very good historically in terms of handling those extra defenders in the box because of the RPO element, because of the QB run element, all the different motions, especially these last few weeks, all the different things we've seen um, from the Eagles in that standpoint. But uh, that will certainly paint a picture for an interesting matchup. When you get a lot of those single highs, that typically means you're going to get one-on-ones on the perimeter. So A.J. Brown yep. uh, and Stephon Gilmore, Devontae Smith, uh, Isaiah Rogers is the other starting corner. So just the, some matchups to watch there on the perimeter as well, Greg. Yeah, and, you know, Gilmore's still a solid player, and I'm curious to see if they match him up to Brown or if they yep. just, you know, just play, um, which they might do. You know, you don't know. Um, I think Rodgers is a guy, to me, and again, I've probably seen almost all their games on defense this year. I think Rodgers has been the better player over uh, Faison. So, uh, I, you know, to me, he, he he should get more snaps. I think they've moved in that direction. Yeah. Uh, one thing that did stand out to me, just kind of going through, I watched uh, probably three, four total games and then watched like all of their big plays on defense, both that they created and, and allowed just to pick up on some themes. While they don't, bl- I mean, they are 30th in blitz percentage, as you mentioned, they're 25th in stunt percentage. So it is primarily a straight four man rush, but watching all of their sacks. Eight of their 24 sacks have come when they've blitzed. Six of 24 sacks have come when they've stunted. And we've seen the, that uptick in, in blitz percentage for teams uh, when they've taken on the Eagles in the last right. few weeks. My guess is with the amount of success that they've had, I'm surprised that the Colts haven't blitzed more. And I wonder if we will see more of that here in this game. They, they love that one pressure. They actually had a sack uh, this past week off it against the Raiders where they brought Kenny Moore on the nickel pressure. They had a, a couple stunts worked in there as well out of a tilted front. So there, there's a lot of elements to some of their pressure schemes. Again, they just they – just don't do it often yeah i mean gus bradley you know again it could be a philosophy thing um you know i don't think wherever he's been he's been a high percentage blitzer but but they're pretty good at it and kenny moore is an excellent blitzer off the slot so uh, again it's it's selective it's based on down and distance field location 
you could see it. Could you see an uptick depending on the game? You know, that's game flow now. You never know. Um, yeah. It's just like last week. They played a little more split safety. Now, they really hadn't done much of that at all this season, Fran. So the question is, was that something they're going to start doing more of? Or was that specific to playing the Raiders? We don't know the answer to that until they they play more. We'll have to, uh, we'll have to wait and find out. But Greg, yeah. you and I will be uh, talking about it next Monday night uh, here on the Eagle Eye the Sky podcast. Thanks again for joining us here for Chalk Talk. Thanks, Fran. Great stuff there from Greg. Thanks to him, and thank you to all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts here with Eagles Entertainment. As always, be sure to go check out uh, our Apple Podcast page. If you've got a question or if you want to leave us a comment, say how much you love the show, whatever it is, leave it there with a five-star rating. would really, really appreciate the support from anybody that feels like you want to send us a little bit of a thank you. It's a great way to throw us your support and help this podcast become more visible to other Eagles fans looking for podcasts. That said, uh, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you later this week.